God is good and God is great and he's greatly to be praised this morning. Amen. Can we just bless the choir for leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning? How good it is to be in God's house. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated while I introduce the word and then take us to the Lord in prayer. But the title of my message this morning is Prisoners in Paradise. I know it doesn't sound like much of a happy Thanksgiving message, but it's the word that the Lord gave to me for us this morning. And if we allow it to do its work in our lives, if we allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the word that He has for us this morning to have their way, I truly believe that we can enjoy the plenty of the Lord. Amen. I believe we can truly enjoy the plenty of His promise, the plenty of His provisions, the plenty of His power, and just the plenty of His presence in our lives, not just today, not just on Thanksgiving, but every other day as well. Amen. How many of you would rather enjoy the plenty of the Lord than to live like prisoners in paradise? Then that's why we need to receive the word that the Lord has for us this morning. Amen. So we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask that He gives us a heart that's willing to receive His Word this morning, to have His way in our lives so we can truly enjoy His plenty. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. It's the day that You have made and we rejoice and we're glad in it. I'm thankful that Your mercies are new every morning, God, and Your loving kindness endures from generation to generation. I pray this morning, God, that we would be mindful of all the good things that you have brought into our lives, all the things that you have blessed us with, Father. I thank you for the opportunity to stand here this morning. I'm always humbled, God, by the opportunity and the privilege to stand behind this pulpit, to fill this pulpit, Lord God, to fill the shoes of our pastor who week after week sets a, an example of excellence and holiness and righteousness, God. I pray blessings upon him and his family, especially this week, God, for the good and great gift of life that you've brought to him and his household, God. We thank you for the bread and the meat that you have for us this morning, God, and we pray that we would have hearts to receive it, God. I pray your anointing upon me, upon my body, my mind, my spirit, Lord, and upon everything else upon this word, that it would be filled with power, God, and it would be filled with truth and revelation, Come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, God. Quicken our spirits this morning that we might receive. In Jesus' holy and mighty name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I have taken the title of my message this morning from Nehemiah chapter 9, where God's people who should have been enjoying freedom in a land that was flowing with milk and honey... Freedom in a land that was given to them, or given to their forefathers for them to enjoy church, found themselves slaves in this land of plenty instead. They found themselves living as the tail instead of the head. They found themselves living beneath instead of above. They found themselves living in poverty even while they were living in a land of plenty. They were enslaved instead of free, all because of disobedience all because of stubbornness of heart, all according to Nehemiah because of their sin. And the sad reality is far too many of God's people find themselves in that same exact place today, slaves in a land of plenty, 
They find themselves in some sort of bondage, whether it's spiritual bondage or physical bondage or mental bondage or marital bondage or financial bondage, or they find their family living in bondage church, all because of disobedience or all because of stubbornness of heart. Again, all, according to Nehemiah, because of sin, church. I know sin isn't a popular topic in today's modern church. I know sin isn't something that's preached on a regular basis in the house of God, church. But the reality is there's a lot of people all across the land filling the house of God, church, who are living like prisoners in paradise. They'll sit down on Thanksgiving Day to a plate of plenty, to a table of plenty, but their marriage will still be in bondage. Their mind will still be in bondage. The table will be filled with all good things, but their life will be ensnared, ensnared, and their life will be enslaved. And the reality is, church, some of us are living in that same exact place. We're living in a place of bondage, church, and we need to be set free from it. And this morning, we're going to look at what leads to that bondage and what it takes to set us free. Because how many of you know it's not God's desire for any of us to live in bondage? It's not God's desire for any of us to live enslaved. It's not God's desire for any of us to live behind any type of prison bar. The truth is, the Bible tells us that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Listen, God didn't bring us out of darkness and into His glorious light for us to live in chains, to live for us to live in any sort of bondage. He didn't bring the children of Israel out from under the hand of Pharaoh or out of the land of Egypt only for them to live in chains in the promised land. He set us free so that we might be free. He set us free so that we might enjoy the plenty of His promised church. How many of you want to live free and not like slaves? Then we need to listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Amen? And we need to learn from His word. Nehemiah chapter 9. I would encourage you in your personal studies to read Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10 to give you the fullness of this word this morning, but I don't have time to read all those, those passages or scriptures, but I will focus on Nehemiah nine thirty-two to 37. It says, Now therefore, O our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who keeps His covenant, covenant of love, Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we all did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or your warnings you gave them. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Therefore, here we are, prisoners in paradise, slaves in a land that you gave our forefathers so that we could enjoy its fruit and other good things it produces. But because of our sins... Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. And we are in great distress because that's what sin does. That's what 
pride does. That's what disobedience does. That's what stubbornness of heart does, church. It puts us in chains. It it puts us in bondage. It puts us in some sort of spiritual prison. It makes us slaves instead of free. And when you read this passage, church, especially all of chapter 9, or Nehemiah brings to our attention, he makes four clear confessions, several, but I'll focus on four. But he makes four clear confessions as to what led to their slavery. And we need to learn from it. Four failures on their part that made them prisoners in paradise. And it's what we'll look at this morning, including uh, what set them free. Because above all else, like I said, God wants us free. Amen? You see, the devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is the one that comes to put you in chains. The devil is the one that comes to ensnare you. He's the one that comes to to bring you into bondage. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. Jesus has come so that we might truly enjoy his plenty. Amen, church? He's come to take us out of prison. He's come to break the chains. And he's come to set us free. And he wants to set you free this morning. And the only way we can be free is to understand the word of God. To understand the word of the Lord and what it is that sets us free and what it is that brings us into bondage. In verse 33, Nehemiah cries to the Lord and says, In all that has happened to us, you have been just. In allowing all of our sufferings, in allowing all of our chains, in allowing the heartache and the headache and our deep distress, you have been just, he said. In the midst of your loving kindness, we are the ones that did wrong. In the midst of your faithfulness, we are the ones that did wrong. In the midst of your long suffering, in the midst of your graciousness, in the midst of your mercies that were new every single day, and your loving kindness which endures from generation to generation while you acted faithfully, we all did wrong. This is the first step to spiritual slavery. The first step to spiritual slavery is failing to do what is right in the eyes of God. Nehemiah said, while you were faithful, we did wrong. We did wrong. That was his first confession. We did wrong. We did what was right in our own eyes instead of the eyes of God. We walked in our own ways instead of according to the ways of the Lord. We did what was right in our own eyes and because of it we find ourselves in chains. Because of it we find ourselves in bondage today. Bondage to the enemy. It reminds me of Cain in the, in the Old Testament. Cain had anger going on in his heart. He was about to do the wrong thing, the Bible tells us, and God interrupts his anger. And he says to, to Cain, he says, Cain, why are you so angry? If you do the right thing, Will I not accept you? If you do the right thing, will I not embrace you? If you do the right thing, will I not bless you? Will I not receive you, Cain? But if you do what? If you do the wrong thing. He says, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. Its desire is to master you. Its desire is to put you in prison and put you in chains and to enslave you if you do the wrong thing. And he said, but you must master it. You must rise above it. See, the reality is sin puts you in prison. It puts you in chains. Doing the wrong thing instead of the right thing is the first step into prison. It's the first step into slavery. It's why we must do what is right in the eyes of God and walk in His ways instead of our own. When we look at this word, we also see 
that they did wrong and not God. They acted unjustly and not God. They were unfaithful and not God. Please understand it's never God's fault when we find ourselves in prison. It's never God's fault when we find ourselves enslaved. It's never God's fault when we find ourselves in bondage. It's never God's fault when we find ourselves in great distress like they did. It's always ours. Because how many of you know, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Even when we are doing what is right in our own eyes, God remains faithful. Even when we're walking in our own ways and, and, and walking according to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, God remains faithful. He did it with the children of Israel, church, and He does it with us as well. He hopes that His loving kindness is enough to keep us close. He's hoping that His long-suffering and His patience and His goodness towards us is enough to draw us near. But far too often it's not enough, church. It wasn't enough for them. And far too often it's not enough for us. According to Nehemiah chapter 9, God's love wasn't enough to keep them from doing wrong. His great love, the signs and wonders, read it yourself. They're outlined in verse 7 through 15 in chapter 9. Take the time to read it. They weren't enough to create faithful followers. The miraculous works that were wrought in Egypt in order to set them free, in order to bring them out from the hand of Pharaoh church, weren't enough to keep them free wasn't enough to keep the people from sinning. It wasn't enough to keep the people from separating themselves from God. The reality is the parting of the Red Sea, the crossing over on dry land, the swallowing up of the horse and the rider, church. It wasn't enough to keep them from worshiping the golden calf or the idols of Egypt when they got to the other side. His goodness wasn't enough. The pillar of fire that led them and kept them warm by night. The cloud that covered them and cooled them in the middle of the day, church, it was not enough to keep their ways pure. It wasn't enough to keep their path from growing crooked. It wasn't enough to keep them from wandering in their own ways while they were wandering through the wilderness. Think about it, church. In the midst of God's goodness, in the midst of His daily provision, in the midst of the things they should have been dancing for and praising for and worshiping for, in the midst of all of these things, the supernatural power of His presence, the supernatural power of His provision, the supernatural power of His protection, it was not enough to keep them faithful. It wasn't enough to keep them on that path of righteousness, church. The word that came down from Mount Sinai the manna that fell from heaven, the quail that blew in from the four corners of the earth, the sandals that never needed to have new soles, the clothes that never wore out, the, the rock that always gave them water wasn't enough to satisfy their soul. wasn't enough to make them happy, church, because they went after other gods anyway. They served false gods anyway. They made unto themselves false idols because the God of goodness wasn't enough, church. And it's why they ended up in bondage. It's why they ended up in slavery. It's why they ended up in a spiritual prison in their life, church. Because God's goodness wasn't enough. It's why Nehemiah cried out in verse 17. They failed to remember the miracles you performed for them. 
They failed to remember the miracles you performed for them. This is another certain step toward slavery, church. It's the forgetfulness of God. It's the forgetfulness of His goodness. The forgetfulness of His grace. The forgetfulness, like I said, of His mercies which are new every morning and His loving kindness which endures from generation. A certain step towards spiritual slavery is the forgetfulness of His holiness and the forgetfulness of His righteousness. The forgetfulness of the fact that 24, uh, that, that the angels and the elders, elders stand around the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The forgetfulness that He's the one who was and is and is still to come. When we forget these things, church, we're certainly taking another step towards slavery. When we forget the love that He demonstrated towards us while we were sinners, church, When we forget Christ and the cross, the cross that sets us free and keeps us free, it is a certain step towards spiritual bondage in our life. Please only understand there's only one thing that that has the power to set us free and one thing that has the power to keep us free, and that is the blood-covered cross of Jesus Christ. And when we fail to remember that cross... When we fail to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, when we fail to remember the crown, when we fail to remember the pierced side, when we fail to remember the nail-scarred hands, when we fail to remember that He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, that He was punished and whipped, church, for our peace, and that by His stripes we are healed, we take another step towards prison. We take another step towards spiritual bondage, church, when we fail to remember His unmerited favor towards us in our lives. We're headed straight towards bondage, church. It's why we need to count our blessings and name them one by one. It's why we need to count our blessings and see what the Lord has done. It's why we need to sit around the Thanksgiving table and count our blessings one to another. We need to confess all the good things that God has done. Instead of just enjoying a table of food, we need to thank God for what He's done. We need to thank God for breath and thank God for life. We need to thank God that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That I was sinking in miry clay, but now I'm standing on the rock eternal. We need to thank God for what He's done. Because when we fail to thank God, we take a certain step towards slavery, church. When we forget that we were once in darkness, but now we're in His glorious light, church. When we forget that He healed my body and touched my mind and saved you and me just in time. We take another step towards spiritual slavery. When we fail to do what is right, when we fail to remember God's goodness and graces in our life, we're that much closer to spiritual slavery in our life, church. The third step to spiritual imprisonment, it was their failure to respond to the word of the Lord. It was their failure to pay attention to the word of the Lord in their life, to, to not pay attention to His commands and His statutes and His ordinances. It was their failure to heed His voice and His prompting and His prodding and His urging in their life, like He prompts us and prods us and urges us as well. 
The reality is then, just like today, they turned a deaf ear to the word of the Lord in their life and they became prisoners in the process. And so will we when we fail to pay attention to the Lord. When we fail to give heed to His warnings. When we fail to give heed to the word of the Lord in our life, church. When we don't follow His commands and His word, church, we're taking another step towards slavery. Deuteronomy 28, 1-2 says, Now it shall be, God is speaking to the children of Israel, and today He's speaking these words to us. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commands, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above and not beneath all the nations of the earth. All of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. But if you don't, you'll be overtaken instead. If you don't, you'll be ruled over instead. If you don't, you'll be mastered by someone else instead. If you don't, you'll find yourself enslaved. You'll find yourself ensnared. You'll find yourself in prison, church. If you don't heed the word of the Lord in your life, If you're not careful to follow his words, if you're not willing to respond to what he says, you'll find yourself the tail instead of the head. You'll find yourself the beneath instead of the above. And you will find yourself under the foot of the enemy instead of you on him yourself, church. And the sad reality is that's where a lot of us live today. Overtaken, ensnared, enslaved, in bondage, church. We find ourselves under the foot of the enemy instead of high above him like the word of God says. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to live high above the enemy. I don't want to be under his feet. I want him to be under mine. And the only way that happens is if I'm willing to heed the word of the Lord in my life, church. It's the word of God, not my word. If you want authority over the enemy, get yourself under the authority of God. If you want authority over sickness and death and sin and all of those things that will come against you, bring yourself under the authority of the word of God. Respond to the word of God and the devil will respond to you. You see, we're out there rebuking left and right and nothing's happening in our life. There's no, there's no power in our word because we're not under God's authority. You can't rebuke diddly if you're not under the authority of God. You and I need to come under the word of God. And when we place ourselves under the word of God, we place ourselves high above the enemy church. Amen. It's where we need to live. The sad reality is far too many of God's people today are living in that place. They're overtaken and they're under the foot of the enemy. Like I said, the tail instead. Someone else is wagging them. Someone else is leading them. Someone else is controlling them. The sad reality is a lot of us are being wagged by this world. All I can think about when I use that word, when you make you the tail, you know what that means. It means that there is an authority that's wagging you. The tail has no control over itself. It is wagged by something else. And there's a lot of individuals in the house of God, nothing but a tail. They're being wagged by lust and wagged by greed and wagged by anger and wagged by whatever it is that the devil brings against them. The devil says wag and they wag. The devil says be afraid and they're afraid. You understand, church? 
When we live in bondage, we are wagged by something else. Instead of having authority over it, instead of being master over it, it masters us instead. It controls us instead. And the reality is, there's far too many, like I said, that they are living under the enemy instead of over the enemy. And they wonder why they're living like slaves. They wonder why they find their marriage and their finances and their men, everything else in bondage. Why? They're not responding to the word of the Lord. They're not living under His authority. It's the only place, church, please get this. It's the only place where the power of God can come into your life when you're under His authority. When I step out from under His authority, I'm wide open to the devil. When I hide myself in Christ and I hide myself in His Word and I hide myself under His wings, church, the authority of God moves through me. And it's how I keep from being in prison and it's how I keep from being in chains. All because they failed to remember. All because they failed to respond. And it was all because of sin. Look at verse 17 again. They failed to remember and they failed to respond to the word of the Lord. And it's a deadly and dangerous mix because these things have the power to put you in prison. Verse 34 says the same thing. They failed to pay attention to his commander, the warnings he gave them. And then they wonder, like I said, why they're living like slaves. They drive right past all the warning signs of life. He said, they failed to heed my warning. And the reality is, church, God will put warning signs in your life each and every day. Slow down. Curve ahead. Dead end. Bridge out. Slippery when wet. Yield, stop, do not enter. He puts these signs in our life every single day. And please listen to me. If they are good for our physical protection while we're out on the road, how much more should we heed them in our spiritual life? If you don't want your marriage going off a cliff, if you don't want your finances going off a cliff, if you don't want to find yourself in a dead end, you've got to heed the warnings that the Lord puts in your life. You come to the pastor for counsel and you ignore it. And you call him a month later when your life and your marriage is going to hell in a handbasket because you didn't heed the word of the Lord. God said, stop, and you go. God says, go right, you turn left. God says, slow down. You rush forward. And then we blame God when we end up at a dead end. We blame God when our life comes crashing in. We blame God when our marriage is broken down, when He's given you warning after warning, year after year, week after week, do this, don't do this, and we just ignore, we don't heed His warnings. And we blame God when we end up prisoners in paradise, church, all because we failed to listen. So the first step to slavery was their failure to do right. The second was their failure to remember Their third was their failure to respond, which means to do the word of the Lord in your life. And the fourth step to imprisonment, it was their, God bless you. The fourth step to imprisonment was their failure to repent and return, church. To repent and return. Because you see, the reality is, even if you do all of those other things, if you fail to repent and return, it's meaningless. If you fail to repent and return, all of these other things, you can remember all you want. You can do all of these things, but they'd be empty works if you, do, if you fail to repent and return, church. 
This is what you and I have to understand. We have to turn from our evil ways. Turn from our selfish ways. Turn from our stubborn ways. The, the children of Israel were, were to turn their back on the world and turn their face towards the Father. This is what repentance is and this is what they failed to do. They failed to turn their back on the world. They failed to turn their back on disobedience. They failed to turn their back on sin and, and, and the, the other gods and the other idols. They failed to turn their back on those things and set their face towards the Father and return to Him. You see, when we find ourselves in prison, there's a repenting and a returning that has to take place in our life. When we find ourselves in spiritual bondage, church, because of our sin, we need to repent of our sins and return to doing right. Amen? Return to serving the Lord fully. This is what they would not do. They fail to respond. They fail to return, church. Please understand. There's a big difference between confessing our sin and repenting of our sin. There's a huge difference. If you read these, these, this passage, Nehemiah chapter 9 is nothing but confession. And Nehemiah chapter 10 talks about their repenting and their turning away and the commitment they were willing to make for the Father. You see, the reality is you can confess your sins till you're blue in the face. But unless you're willing to turn from them, it makes no difference. You can confess your sins to the pastor and to the staff and to a counselor and to your next door neighbor. You can get on your knees and confess your sins to God. But unless when you get up, you're willing to turn your back on sin and turn your face towards the Father, everything you pray is meaningless, church. It's empty. Confession without repentance is nothing but idle words. It does not have the power to break the chains that bind you. Listen, I've been there. Early in my Christian life, week after week, I'd come boo-hoo my tears. I would confess my sins. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Confess and weep. Next week, confess and weep. Next week, confess and weep. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. Until I finally came to the place where one day I got up And I turned my back on the world. And I said, from this day forward, Father, I will serve you fully. I turned my back on the old man. I turned my back on my old ways. I turned my back on my stubbornness and pride. I turned my back on the lust of the flesh and the the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And I'm here to serve you now. Amen. That's what repentance is, church. Now, I don't mean to be condemning, but there's a lot of people that will sit down at the Thanksgiving table, still prisoners, because all they've been doing in their life is confessing and not repenting. Confessing instead of repenting, church. Verse 37 says, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them, In the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. I hope you get the depth of that. Say it again. In the midst of God's blessings, in the midst of God's goodness, in the midst of God's spaciousness, in the fertile land that He gave them, church... They would not serve him 
and they would not turn from their evil ways. And there's a lot of us, church, that are living in the spaciousness of God, living in the abundance of God, living in the the fertile land that God has cultivated in your life and you're thinking you did it all on your own. You think you did it all by yourself. You're thinking you're the one that deserves the pat on the back. You're thinking you're the one that deserves the glory and the honor and all of the praise because you're the one that's put this plenty on the table, church. You've forgotten that He's the one that gave you all good things. You forget He's the one that gave you life and He's the one that gave you breath. You forget that He's the one that gave you family and gave you friends and gave you a house to come and worship in. He's the one that gave you this talent and He's the one that gave you this skill. He's the one that sent you to school. He's the one that filled you with wisdom and knowledge. He's the one, church, that gave you the job. He's the one that gave you the paycheck. He's the one that gave you the blessing. He is the giver of all good things. He and He alone. And unless that's your heart and understanding on Thanksgiving, church, you don't know what Thanksgiving is all about. He is the giver of life and breath. And He's the one we have to give thanks for, too. But in the midst of it, here's the sad part, in the midst of all of this, they kept living in sin. And it's what led them to bondage. In the midst of His goodness, they did not serve Him. So please get this. God let them serve the enemy instead. Let them serve the enemy instead. Be careful when you're full. Be careful in your blessing. Be careful in your abundance. Be careful in your spaciousness and in the land God gave you, church, because God giveth and God can take away. He gave it to the children of Israel and He took it away. He didn't take it away to be some kind of ogre. He took it away to draw their hearts back to Him. He took it away for them to remember that He was the giver of life and that He was the one that brought them out of bondage, that He was the one that brought them into this land that was flowing with milk and honey. He took it away so that they would respond and remember, church. And it's why He'll take it away from us as well. Be careful in your spaciousness and in your plenty because if it's all not enough to keep you close, if it's all not enough to keep you faithful, if it's not enough to keep Christ first in your life, if His goodness isn't enough to keep you humble, church, He will give you over to the enemy and you will become a prisoner in paradise. It's exactly what happened to God's people here in Nehemiah because they failed to repent and return, church. And because of it, they ended up, the enemy ended up reigning over them. The enemy was the head and they were the tail. The enemy was eating their plenty in verse 37 and they ended up eating garlic and onions instead. They ended up eating the slop of slaves instead of the abundance that God had for them. Listen to me. When you enter into spiritual bondage like they entered into spiritual bondage, they were not able to taste of the good things of God. They weren't able to taste of the milk and the honey. They weren't able to eat of the grapes and the nuts and the, and the olives. They weren't able to eat of the good things that came forth from the land. They were eating the slop of slaves. And the reality is when we are this, when we fail to serve God and we fail to repent and we fail to return, we cannot enjoy the goodness of God in our life, church. We too will eat the slop of slaves. Here's what we have to realize. The only way we will ever taste of abundance, church, 
The only way we will ever sit at the banqueting table, the only way we will ever enjoy milk and honey in our lives, church, and all the good things of the Lord, the only way we will ever sit at the banqueting table and eat the feast of the Father is for us to repent and walk away from the pig pen of our life. For us to repent and turn away from the old man and the old desires and the old hangouts and the old friends and the old habits and the old vices and the old talk and the old thinking. We have to turn away from it, church. And we have to return and serve the Lord. Please get this. They would not turn from evil and they would not serve God. The word serve that the Lord used here, it meant to be at someone else's complete disposal. God was saying they would not put themselves at my disposal. They would not allow me to use them. So I let the enemy use them instead. They would not let me control them. They would not let me be their authority. They would not allow me to be their head. So I let someone else be their head. I let someone else control them. I let someone else use them. Please understand that's what sin does. It uses you and abuses you. And when we fail to serve God, when we fail to say, here I am, God, use me. When we fail to put ourselves at God's complete disposal, you will end up serving sin instead. You will be its slave. And it will master you. And when that's the case, where do we end up? Prisoners in paradise, church. It's exactly where they were. Please understand it's what the prodigal did. The prodigal turned his back on sin. He turned his back on the foreigner that he yoked himself to. He turned his back on his old desires, the old man. He turned his back on the past and he returned to the father church. But he returned differently. He returned as a servant instead of an arrogant Son, because this is what he said. He came to his senses, the Bible says. He confessed his sins. Read it. He confessed his sins. He came to a greater understanding of what brought him to where he was. And he realized the only way that, I'll, the only way that I will uh, get out of this mess is if I get up, if I repent, if I turn back to the Father. But this is what he said. He said, I will, re- I will return as a hired servant. He didn't just confess his sins, he repented of the sins and he didn't go back in arrogance. He didn't go back with a haughty spirit. He didn't go back to the Father in order to be boss. He didn't go back to the Father in order to sit at the top seat of the table. He went back in humility, church. He didn't go back. Please listen to me. When he got back to the Father, there was no more of this. Give me my inheritance. There was no more, give me my blessing. There was no more, give me what's mine. There was no more, give me your goodness. There was no more, give me, give me, give me. When he came to the feet of the Father, he said, he went as a servant. And he said, here I am, Father. How can you use me? Amen. He didn't go back to take. He went back to give. He didn't go back to to, to boss anyone around. He went back to be used. This is what it means. Repentance isn't just going back to the Father, it's going back changed. It's going back in humility. Please understand, humility is the only way to the feast of the Father. Humility is the only way to His abundance. Humility is the only way to His blessing. Humility is the only way that you will sit at that table. It's the only way you will wear a robe of righteousness. It's the only way the fatted calf will be killed for you when you come back in humility. You see, so look, you can confess... You can repent, you can turn, and you can go back to church. You can go back to the Lord, but unless you go back changed, 
unless you go back in humility, unless you go back willing to serve Him fully, again, it means nothing. It's all empty. And you will still find yourself in prison, church. Spiritual prison. But Christ has come that we might be set free. Amen? Nehemiah said, as I begin to close this out, Nehemiah said in verse 37, because of our sins, because of our forgetfulness, because of our failure to follow your instructions, because of our refusal to repent, because of our sins, he said, this abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us, and whoever's coming to the music, let them come. They rule over our bodies and cattle as they please, and we are in direct great distress, all because of our sins. Please notice this. Nehemiah called it what it was, church. He called it sin. He didn't call it a mistake. He didn't call it a slip up. He didn't call it an accident. He didn't call it an alternative lifestyle. He didn't call it a character flaw or personality trait. He didn't call it giving into temptation or a personal weakness. He called it what it was. He called it sin. And I hope we realize this morning that sin is the cause of great distress in our life. Sin is the cause of spiritual slavery in our life. It's the breeder of bondage. Sin is the snare that entangles us, church. And unless we repent and unless we turn from it, unless we're willing to serve the Father, we will continue to find ourselves in great distress. We will find ourselves prisoners in paradise. And we'll find the enemy eating off of our plate. It's what happened, church. Here we have the children of God, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, living in a land of plenty, eating the slop of slaves, bound up, enslaved, ensnared, prisoners in paradise, church, because they would not turn back to God. The enemy was eating off of their plate. The enemy was drinking their milk, eating their honey, living off of their land, the land that was promised to their forefathers as an inheritance for them to enjoy. And they weren't enjoying it, church. And there's a lot of people all throughout the land this morning that aren't enjoying the plenty of the Lord because somewhere along the way they failed at one of these things. They failed to do right or they failed to remember God's goodness or they failed to respond to the word of the Lord in their life, the the warnings that He set before them. They fail to repent. They fail to return. And they're failing to serve Him fully. Listen, if we want to enjoy the milk and the honey of God's promise in our life, we must separate ourselves from sin. We must do the things that the Israelites did. We must follow the word of of Nehemiah. And here's where I close. In verse 38, Nehemiah comes to the close of his confession. Everything that I just preached to you was his confession. This was their sin. This is what brought them into slavery. And he says this, in view of all of this, in view of our forgetfulness and stubbornness, in view of our stiff neckedness, in view of our unfaithfulness, in view of our sins, we're making a binding agreement and putting it in writing this day. The binding agreement, I'll read in just a moment. But simply, the agreement was to do the right thing. It was to remember the Lord, His goodness and His graces. It was to respond to His word over their life. It was to repent from their evils and their wickedness and to return the Lord and to serve Him fully. That was the agreement they made to the Father, church. 
And here's what it says. From the governors and the leaders of the land to the rest of the peoples, from the top to the bottom, from the preacher to the pews, from the president to the citizens, from the king to the peasants, from the boss to the employees, from the father to the children, from the mother to the kids, from the husband to the wife. Please understand, restoration starts at the top. It starts with the leadership. It starts with you. Because you're leader over someone. You're leader over something that God has given to you from the top to the bottom. Everyone, the Bible says, they attach their names and bound themselves to this commitment. Everyone. The entire nation rose up and said, I'm attaching my name to that commitment. A commitment to follow you. A commitment to keep the Sabbath a commitment to watch after your word, a commitment to bring the tithe. Read it yourself. Commitment to bring the tithe and the offerings into the house of the Lord. A commitment to to not forsake the, the house of the Lord. It's in chapter 10, verses 29 to 39. Read it. You'll read the commitment that they made. And at the end of the commitment, they attach their name. This morning, God's looking for the same thing, church. He's looking for a commitment. He's looking for the individual that's willing to attach their name to it. He's not looking, please understand, God's, I'm not handing out a piece of paper this morning. I'm not a, a, handing out a tablet of stone and a chisel where you can chisel your name on it. What God's looking for is a heart this morning. He's looking for a heart that's willing to make a commitment to do the right thing, to remember His holiness and His goodness and His blessings, to respond to the word of the Lord this morning to repent of any evils, to turn back to Him in any area of your life where you've followed, fallen away and, and to serve Him fully. If you're here this morning and you're willing to attach your name, I'm going to do a two-part close. If you're willing to attach your name to this commitment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're willing to attach your name, your heart to this kind of commitment, I'm just going to ask that you stand to your feet. Public confession, here I am, God. The entire, the entire nation stood to their feet. Every one of them, public view of everyone else. Read their names. Their names are even written down from the top to the bottom. We are making this commitment this day to serve the Lord fully from this day forward. To love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To obey the word of the Lord. And to serve Him fully. Amen. If you need freedom, church, and want to be set free, please come forward and we'll pray with you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, with all my Today's the day you can be set free. I Respond to the word of the Lord and you will be free. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I have within I give Lift up your hands this morning, church. All that I adore is in you. In you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you, Lord. 